guys. Welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and I'm joined, as ever, by my, very fittingly for this week, partner in crime, MK. Hello. Hi. Yeah, we could we could commit some crimes to solve crimes. Yeah, so does that, which one are you, and which one am I? Like, am I the, am I the lesbian best doctor friend, or am I Friny, or am I Dot? Oh, I don't know. Jeez. I feel like, ooh. Because, like, lesbian doctor best friend is amazing. She wears some great suits. Mac McMillian. Elizabeth Mac McMillian. She does wear some great suits. She wears great suits. Okay, we've gotten a bit ahead of ourselves. Um, But to to double back a little bit, this week's topic is drumroll. Finally! Finally. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Now, to give you guys some even more interesting backstory, you discovered this series, I want to say, like, early this year? Oh, I discovered it when the first season was airing. So that was, yeah, 2012? Because I remember you first telling me about it sometime earlier this year. Yeah. Basically saying, like, oh my god, you have to watch this. I had been watching it. Like, I had seen both seasons before I started telling people to watch it. Um, like, I, I love this show. It's an Australian show, which is why, like, nobody in North America had heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, we should give some background. So it's, it's a period piece that takes place in, is it, like, the 1940s or the 1920s? It is actually, um, the post-World War One years. Oh, I think yeah. that they have more specific dates in the show, but frankly speaking, I haven't memorized them. Yeah. So... Yeah. The setup is that Phryne Fisher is the only surviving member of her family. And as so, she is fabulously wealthy, having, um, you know, having had everybody die off in the Great War to leave her a very fabulously rich heiress in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. And I mean, she was poor before then. And, you know, like actually did, she was an ambulance driver in the war. She lived as like a a poor artist model in France for a while. Like she's had an exciting life. Um, but she comes back to Australia and this is like the part of season one that I don't actually care about because the guy who murdered her sister when she was a child might get out of prison. And she's determined to make sure that he either like is hanged or just stays (laughs) in prison forever. But like literally you won't care about that. That's not really important to the story. Not actually true. So this is, this is, before we get into, like, the whole background of the story, I have to say, like, there are two, the, the, MK came to me at the beginning of the year, and she was like, you have to watch this show, it's so good, it is a mystery show, it is about blah, 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 and I immediately fucking tuned her out as soon as she said mystery show, because as we have explored in the past, MK has, like, the worst goddamn taste in media consumption in the recorded universe. It's true, but in this case, I was 100% right. Yes, but even a broken clock is right, you know, occasionally. So, like, the deal is that as soon as you said mystery, I was like, hells to the no. Because, like, you watch some garbage mystery shows because they're mystery shows. It's the same way that, like, if I ever recommend someone, like, you should really watch this paranormal show. It's really good. No one would ever listen to me because I watch the worst paranormal shows because I'm just really fascinated by this topic. Like... Uh, 20-something and I watched, like, a fucking ghost show, like, about people's pets over 4th of July weekend. Like, not joking, totally watched, like, seven episodes about people who were like, these ghosts are torturing our bunnies. Um, that that's sounds horrifying, and yet I kind of want to watch that now. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. I feel like I had, like, an aneurysm watching it because it was so dumb. My body was trying to kill me to escape uh, <laughs> this mortal coil. But the point is, the point is, so when you made this pitch to me, I was like, that is not going to happen. And I honestly can't remember what it was that got me to watch the first, um, to, oh, I that's what it was. You when I was here. in Toronto, you forced me to watch selected episodes that you had picked, specifically making the argument that the major through line about um, the Phryne sister having been murdered when they were children Irrelevant. didn't matter. And I fell in love with the show. I love the aesthetic. I love the characters and everything like that. So when I got back to the States and was watching the first season on my own on Netflix, 
I started from the beginning, like fully prepared to be really bored about the sister plot and realize this is another MKism because her sister, the plot with her sister is absolutely fine. There's nothing terrible about it. It is not boring. It's so boring. Li- like, I have zero fucks to give for her sister. I just, I, like, uh, now when I rewatch this, because I rewatch it all the time, I just fast forward through anything with her sister, or I only watch season two. I'm, like, deeply unsurprised by this. But again, but, I'm a um, robot. For From one perspective, MK says it's pointless. From my perspective, I think that they're fine. I think it's a good through line, and it makes a lot of sense for her character, because otherwise, why the fuck would she be into this business? Um, and I think that it's not invasive the way that a lot of backstories can be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's the true. Best, it the best example of this I can think of is Arrow. Oh, like, when you made me watch those episodes and like every time, like every time, like you would almost get me interested in the show. And then they and then do flashbacks. Would be and I would be like, fuck this. You lost me again. I always fast forward through the island on Arrow. We're going to do an Arrow episode, uh, two of my friends and I, and like just preemptively guys, my advice is fast forward through anything about the island. It's dumb. But, Miss Fisher. I can't imagine anyone actually watching the island stuff, right? Like, how? It's so weird, though. Okay, we, we can't talk about this, because this isn't the Arrow episode. And I have so, many, I have so many feelings. Apologies. Apologies, guys. Let's go back to Franny Fisher. So, the point is, Miss Fisher, while a mystery which Prue doesn't like, is also a show that has amazing, beautiful costumes. Which I do like chock full of incredible female characters and not just like strong female characters but like a a variety of female characters with all kinds of very distinct and interesting problems and they're still getting shit done like no matter which lady it is they are getting shit done and the reason that miss fisher herself is so great is that i guess like the point is she's done all of this crazy shit in her life she went through all of that garbage now she's filthy rich and she's like you know what fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to wear what I want. I'm going to investigate crime while racing cars for kicks and teaching other ladies like how to become adventurers and race car drivers. I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I don't care what race they are. I don't care what language they speak. Like, no problem. Let's just have all of the sex. It's... I mean, I think think the the difficulty is, like, it's... It's possible to enjoy Fisher on, like, a very, very sort of superficial level because of, like, the clothes and the interesting social commentary and it hits all of these check marks and, like, oh, my God, this thing is, like, fucking stamped, dash con approved for social justice. But, like, I think it's also very imperative to kind of look at it from, if you are going to watch the show, to look at it from the point of view of, like, oh, the only reason she gets to do this, right, is because because she's, like, a rich white lady. Like, the only reason she can have this life is because she's a rich white lady. And interestingly, like, one of the characters in the show is a very, very, it's like a poor, like, less educated white girl. And, like, the vast disparity between their experiences and lives is really intriguing to see, I think. It is really interesting. But, I mean, aside from, okay, I think it's really cool that Miss Fisher does all of these things, and I use it as a selling point whenever I'm trying to get someone to watch the show because it's very exciting. But... The reason that I emphasize those isn't because of all of the social justice, blah, blah, dash, whatever. It's, <laughs> it's because a lot of the time when I try to watch period dramas, I'm like, this is yes. fine, but I just don't care. Like, I'm bored. Yeah. And I'm never bored when I watch Miss Fisher. I'm bored sometimes, but less so than most mystery shows, which, as MK has, like, observed keenly, I hate. Like... I do not, so this is, like, a major, um, this is, like, a major, like, wreck for me, because I don't like mystery shows. I find them, like, really, really boring. Um, it's one of those things where I'm just, like, why do I care? (laughs) It's, like, it's, like, it's, like, a CSI procedural, but, like, always with, like, the sort of long shots of, like, dun-dun-dun, you have to figure something out, like, if it's an Agatha Christie mystery, like, kill me with fire, (laughs) Um, that shit actually makes sense, and it had to have happened, like, so precisely in order for it to work, and, like, I'm too much of a realist to ever buy into it, but I think that that's why I particularly like Miss Fisher, because it has enough of the other stuff going on that I, like, don't, I don't, um, interrogate it that much, right, I don't overthink 
the mystery half of it. I'm focusing more on the stuff that I should be focusing on when you have an interesting detective character, which is the detective character, right? In her cast of friends. Yeah, it's very character-driven. Absolutely. Like, I love the mysteries because I will watch almost any mystery, but the character stuff is what really makes the show. Like, it's just so stellar. It um, is Trez Stellar. Yeah, Trez Stellar. Good. Trez. Nice, nice French. <laughs> Fromage. <laughs> that, that is correct. Uh, um, so to give you like a brief, brief intro into the pilot, to give you like some background, Miss Fisher returns from wherever the fuck she was before this and has, uh, set up like, arranged for herself to have a mansion furnished with all of her stuff put in it and hired someone called Mr. Butler to take care of it. Um, naturally, naturally right and she's like never met him but he has great recommendations it's probably fine um and she's like i'm gonna either stop this guy from getting out of jail or make sure he hangs so that my sister blah whatever prue cares this is the professor she thinks is responsible for murdering her sister and he is in jail yes just not for her sister thing it's for like other underage girl problems. Murders. He's never admitted to murdering Friday's sister. But he does hint at it a lot. Yes. Um, anyway, so she, when she lands on the docks, meets with her best friend, who is a female doctor, uh, who is also, like, an open lesbian who only wears pants and, like, these amazing suits and, uh, you know, does coke whenever she wants and, like, drinks a lot of brandy. Okay, she doesn't do coke whenever she wants. It's medicinal. Oh, it's medicinal. I'm sorry. Anyways, Miss Fisher is invited to um, a party or a luncheon or something at, like, an old friend's house. These, like, rich people who are also white, upper class, whatever. Only she shows up and this this mansion. No, it it is her friend. Her aunt is at the house. Yeah, her aunt is at the house. Um, she shows up at the house just as the ambulance is taking away the corpse of the man of the house. Um, and this maid, yeah, they've got him, like, literally, I think his hand falls out from under the cloth covering him, like, you're like, he is 100% dead. (laughs) One million dead. (laughs) One million dead. While the maid, in her, like, very traditional maid uniform, is, like, sobbing on the front porch. And Miss Fisher is like, um, I'm here for the party? And the maid is like, I'm really sorry. The party is canceled because, ultra like... canceled. Ultra canceled. Because Mr. What's-His-Face is dead. There's been a terrible accident. And Miss Fisher's like, oh, let me let me come in and, and comfort my friend. And, you know, obviously her aunt is there trying to help her. And her aunt is the funniest person I've ever seen. Aunt Prudence is, like, a... She's actually played by, like, a pretty famous BBC actress uh, who you might recognize as the troll who married Uther in Merlin. <laughs> you know, the, the farting two-parter episode. It's that lady, only now she's Aunt Prudence. Very prim and proper. I don't think she was the troll. She is. It's the same lady. It's not. It she is. was on Merlin, but she was there as Elena's nursemaid. She's Shit. not a troll. Shit, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. It's because she had that weird face in the makeup that I thought of her as the troll. Sure. Here's our periodic reminder that I'm Kate hard, but she is face blind. I'm like 100% face blind. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so it's her, and she's, she's a fantastic actress. So Aunt Prudence is trying to comfort this lady. Miss Fisher is like... Jintrigue, there's been a murder. This is clearly a murder. Um, and the police are still at the house and like, you, you should leave. You're not family. And we are investigating this accident. <laughs> um, so obviously, there's like a young policeman um, who is Constable Collins, Hugh. Uh, and he's very earnest and very well-meaning and trying to prevent her from getting upstairs to the master bathroom, which is the scene of the crime. And she blatantly lies and pretends that she's going to, like, pee herself if he doesn't let her upstairs. Sneaks in and starts, like, poking around the bathroom where there's, like, they have, like, the Which, chalk. Which, you know. Yeah, it's what you do. <laughs> there's, like, a stupid chalk outline of him on the floor. There's, like, all sorts of evidence that she's collecting whatever. And then she just, like, flushes the toilet and pretends she's powdering her nose when, like, um, 
the detective inspector is like pounding on the door like you can't use this bathroom it's clearly a crime scene um and then when she opens the door we get to meet oh he's so handsome like prime piece of man real estate right there right he's like a normal looking dude but there's just something about him that is like i'm so into it you know what it is the walter skinner effect he is um very stern and as a result extraordinarily bangable he also has like a beautiful voice like literally in a later episode they refer to him as the man with the golden voice because his voice is like made for radio like it's just perfect so bangable so bangable like eminently bangable and Miss Fisher immediately identifies these qualities in him and starts blatantly hitting on him, partly because she wants to, and partly to be like, don't look at me, I'm just a girl, while she, like, steals evidence. And yes. he's, he's, like, 100% onto her, like, instantly. <laughs> um, but she, like, flirts some more, and he winds up giving her his card, and she's like, you never know when I might need a detective inspector. And he's like... Just call emergency. (laughs) (laughs) Please, for the love of God, don't call me. (laughs) Please don't call me. Um, And suffice to say, she starts investigating the murder. Um, But the, the, the real key point here is that that day, the maid who was, like, sobbing on the front steps is dismissed because uh, the police think that she might have done the murder. And she is the sweetest nicest, like, just most naive, unassuming, innocent, innocent, lovely girl, Dot. Um, so Miss Fisher, like, gets her out of the police station and is like, you can just stay with me tonight at my, like, temporary hotel while my house is being set up. Um, whatever. Uh, drops Dot off at her place, where previously, the night before, she had crazy sex with, like, some rando. So, she's, I mean, there's, like, stockings on the chandelier, there's, like, her diaphragm under the couch, like, it's a mess. (laughs) And Dot is ultra-Catholic and, like, doesn't know what a diaphragm is and doesn't quite make the connection of, like, why her stockings would be on the chandelier and stuff and just, like, cleans the entire place up, (laughs) which obviously means that Miss Fisher basically has to adopt her as her companion. Absolutely. It's necessary. It's necessary. So obviously the point of the first episode is she clears her, she clears Dot's name. Dot moves in with her as her companion slash, I don't know, Girl Friday? Housekeeper slash maid. Yeah, she does a bunch of stuff. Um, Yeah, and over the course of the series, she becomes more and more involved with the investigations themselves. Yeah, which is like, she also becomes more empowered on her own. Mm -hmm. Because in the first episode, I mean, she's terrified to answer the telephone because telephones are pretty new. And her priest has told her that the uh, electricity wires will connect to volcanoes and make the world explode. Absolutely. And she's legit. Right? She's like, I 100% believe him. I cannot answer the phone. It's the devil's (laughs) work. Eventually, she gets over that and becomes more, you know, her own person. But still, I mean, she still holds firm in her religious beliefs and... Even though Miss Fisher clearly doesn't agree with her, they they don't have any issues with them. I think the way they yeah. handle it is really good. Um, so the point is, the first episode, she saves Dot, clears her name, helps Dot meet Hugh Collins, the uh, constable, who, like, they have a beautiful love story together. Um, <laughs> and the case is about... Um, the man of the house had essentially been forcing himself on a variety of mates. He tried with Dot, but didn't succeed. Um, and when they get pregnant, they basically get dismissed and sent to get a back alley abortion. Um, and most of them die because the, the hack surgeon who's doing this is just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also break up a drug ring. Like it is a complex pilot. <laughs> but in breaking up the drug ring, obviously she has to bring in her lady doctor friend who also, like, saves someone from a back alley abortion. Um, and they have to, like, taste test some cocaine to make sure that it's cocaine. Mm-hmm. They have a good time that night. You know, there's, like, a bunch of really... I just, there's so much that happens in every episode, like, it would be impossible to describe, but I love every minute of it. 
Yeah, I think that the pilot, they were really trying to, like, underline a couple of, like, key points that are establishing elements of the rest of the series. So, in my opinion, like, the pilot is not actually the best episode of the series. Like, it's a little, like, the character beats are just a bit wonky because they kind of rejigger them for the later episodes. But it has all the style and has all the heart. Yeah. The later episodes. So you sort of, like, this episode is, like, a nice, like, introduction to, if you watch Miss Fisher, like, this is what you're going to be able to reliably depend upon every week, which is Phryne having fabulous clothes, um, the courage of a lion. Yeah. The strength of her convictions and the people around her being, like, good and smart and, you know, murderous. It's also a lot about, like, women's rights and, like, an anti-racism thing. Like people, I don't know. They're still pretty racist. There's still racism, but considering the time period, there's a bunch of stuff where like someone will be racist, and Miss Fisher is just like not having it. Okay, sure. I don't know. There's enough of that that it's better. There's, there's than... a there is a couple episode run which is just hilariously racist. Oh uh, yes, yes there is. But compared which, to like, I, I think I was messaging you about that as I was watching it, and I was like, "Oh my god, is he going to sell opium?" Yes, he is. Of course, he sells opium. <laughs> but like compared to a lot of other dramas that are set in a similar time period, you would sure. Have... I just don't think that like I'm going to let it off the hook on that one. No, absolutely not. But I will say that there are more people of color than most period dramas, and that you get some actual like character stuff about them which is not perfect but is better than a lot of other shows sure okay i think i should say if you live in the states because i know that most of our listeners live in the states you can watch at least the first season on netflix um and there are actually two seasons that exist so far and they just got renewed for a third season which you know hasn't started filming yet but i assume will be fantastic absolutely yeah so obviously uh a bunch of you have already figured out Miss Fisher, the TV show, is based on a book series. And we did get a question that was like, uh, who is this? One of the Anons said that they tried watch or reading the books and just could not get into them. They wanted to know, like, do the books get better after the first one? Or are they just, you know, not good? So here's the thing. They, <laughs> they changed Miss Fisher a fair amount to make the TV show. In the books, she's, like, 20. Um, and the books are all quite short. And they read kind of weird. There's, I think, a lot of Miss Fisher comes across because of the fantastic acting, the yes. beautiful costumes, the scenery. Like, everything combined together is so immersive. Mm-hmm. Whereas reading the books is kind of, it feels like the kind of shit that you have to read in, like, an English degree. Like, it's not bad, but it's... It's very, this sure is like a pulp 1920s, 30s novel. Mm, okay. Right? Like, it's that kind of tone. Everything is pretty fast. It's, like, weirdly narrated, and it's just not as good. Um, I will say that if you want to read them, they're very easy and quick to read. My mom read all of them in a month, and there's quite a lot of them. And I well, mean, your description of what the differences are between... Um the book versions and the television versions actually brings up an interesting point that I thought we should talk about, mm. which is in among the changes that they made between the books and the series, and I'm going by your descriptions here because I personally have not read these books, Yeah, uh, is that Friday in the books is very young, whereas in the movies, not the movies, in the television show, I think she's very comfortably established to be at least in her late 30s, right? Yeah, and it seems more believable to me that, like, in her mid-30s, at least, she would be, like, she doesn't worry at all about the things that she does, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she's just very bold all the time. And I just have trouble believing that, like, a very young Miss Fisher would be in that same level of comfort. I also feel like, this is just from my own personal biases, I feel like if you showed me 20-year-old Friday, right, kind of tearing around Melbourne doing whatever the fuck she wanted to, I'm concerned with um, with the consequences of things. That would come off very differently than this older, um, almost 20 years older, uh, Friday, that tears around Melbourne. And it's, I feel like 
the difference is that when you're 20 and you're doing that, you don't know the potential consequences, so you're not frightened of them. Yeah, whereas Miss Fisher in the TV show is very clearly aware of the consequences yeah. and knows, like, exactly how far she can go or how she can push people while still being like, you can't do anything to me. Yes, and she also knows that the things that she does has consequences on the people she cares about, yeah. which is another dimension, you know? And I think that that's sometimes, like, that's part of what really attracted me to the show is that um, ever since Leverage went off the air, right? Like, we haven't, like, I haven't really enjoyed, like, a fully ensemble show. And this show, surprisingly, is very ensemble -ish. The other thing is that, so my impression is that Jack in the books is still basically the same age, which I just find fucking creepy if they still have a romance. Like, I really like uh, the power dynamic and the interactions between them in the TV show because they're pretty much on equal footing. They're just coming at things from very different perspectives. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. I did not know that about Jack, and you're right. That does make it really creepy. Right? So if I were you, Anon, I would not read the books. I mean, it's up to you, but, like, I just watched the TV show. It's so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I... I personally, like, the TV show is so rich and fulsome. Like, I have no desire to go find the books. Yeah. Uh, you don't One thing that. that I was um, talking about earlier a little bit that we kind of moved off of, because this, in, when I apologize, listeners, when you guys listen to this episode, it's been kind of disjointed <laughs> because we've been recording this in, like, two and three minute segments in between, like, six different things happening. So I apologize. But one thing that I did want to touch on was... Um, we talked a little bit about the, aside from Franny being our lead lady detective and Jack Robinson being sort of her foil and this diet so stern, so stern, uh, so stern detective. Um, but who, fun. He's also fun. Yes. Very fun. With a golden voice. Yes. Um, we talked about Constable Collins. We talked about Dodd. There's um, Mr. Butler, who is her butler. There is also... She has two sort of ne'er-do-wells that kind of are her henchmen. Bert and Seth. But they're the friendliest, most lovely henchmen in the world. And they're socialists. They're not even socialists. They're communists. Um, yeah. And they're adorable. They're like the nicest communist thugs you've ever met. Yeah, they're like the nicest henchmen ever. Um, and when they get arrested, a lot of times they get dragged away talking about, you know, the oppressing the people. Yeah. Uh, just every character in this is very nuanced and delightful. And all of them have these lovely little, like, B-threads run through. And they have relationships not just with Primey, but with each other. Like, Bert and Sess are best friends who share a cab. And the reason, and they're both cab drivers, and the reasons that they meet Miss Friday in the beginning um, is because they're the ones who bring the girl who almost died of the back alley abortion to Friday's doctor's hospital, doctor friend's hospital. And then they start running errands for her and they eventually become part of her family. Um, there's a girl that Friday more or less, you know, adopts um, for the run of the series. Uh, she's very lovely and is intermittently in and out of the story. Yep. There's Friday's aunt, who seems like she's a terrible, boring person, but turns out Ashley is kind-hearted and lovely, and um, just very different than Friday is. Just so different than Friday. I will say, like, um, Aunt Prudence has some amazing lines that have led to, like, hilarious slang with me and some of my friends. Oh, do share. So, for instance, there's a scene where Friday is at a party with uh, her Aunt Prudence, and her Aunt Prudence is always trying to, like, get her to basically settle down with a nice young man of, like, means and whatever. Like, a good breeding stock, blah, blah. And Miss Fisher, like, does not care. Just, like, please be respectable for once. Right? And Miss Fisher's like, I want to bang some dudes. Um, they're at this party, and Aunt Prudence points to, like, the most stereotypical, like, inbred upper-class dude I've ever seen. Look like buck teeth and, like, a weird fucking face. You're just like, you're so inbred. And she says, like, so-and-so has impeccable manners. <laughs> and you just see Miss Fisher turn away from the inbred dude and look at this Russian professional, like, salsa dancer who has come to perform and is wearing very tight pants. And there's, like, a nice shot of his ass. And she's like, I see some other nice manners or something. And goes off to talk to him. And now whenever we see someone with a great butt, we're like, ooh, what a, a fine young man with impeccable manners. <laughs> 
I think we're going to start using that since it seems less creepy and predatory than me being like, damn, boy. Right? You're just like, mm -hmm, impeccable manners right over there. So manners. Such impeccable. Exactly. And it's really fun to say. Yeah. So basically, like, the show itself is an absolute visual delight on top of all of these, like, really lovely characters that have lovely interactions with each other. And I honestly have to say that part of the fun of this is that this reads very tropey and very fanfic to me as well. Like, every episode is, like, an interesting, it's like a 20k fanfic story. Basically. That is like, very, very competently written and, like, um, has all of these, like, fun little things to it, right? Like the radio drama one, the women's magazine one. The, um, it's basically a series of AUs, except that, like, each one is a murder mystery that she has to solve. Mm -hmm. And each season has an overarching, like, through-line plot. Mm -hmm. Um, because, I mean, obviously the first season is about her and her dead sister, whatever, but the second one is about Jack's former father-in-law, who is, like, the chief of police. Yep. Um, who is kind of an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I have to say that I believe that the overarching themes um, for the series are always the weakest points. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but they're, they're still, still there. Yeah, they're still interesting, and it, they're still trying to do something. So, like, brava, and obviously, like, nothing will distract me from, like, curving on Jack Robinson, like, tomorrow never dies or something. <laughs> I could just watch, like, Miss Fisher and Jack flirt all day. I could. I have to say that I'm, like, possibly even more romantic, like, even more emotionally entrenched with the Dottie Constable Collins relationship. Oh my god, they're so cute. So one of the great things about, like, Dot and Collins is that Collins is, like, pretty old-fashioned as well and has very, like, like, contemporary views on certain things. And as Dot spends more and more time with Miss Fisher, she becomes more and more of a modern woman. Mm-hmm. And you expect it to be like, oh, they have to compromise? But the overarching storyline is actually, like, him just being like, well, I love her, so I'm just going to do whatever makes her happy. I feel like that they, okay, this is, like, a weird pet peeve. This is not even about the show. Okay. But I feel like in, in stories or um, whenever people are in movies or relationships or whatever, if only one person is doing any of the compromising, like, I do not like that. I don't care if it's a guy doing all of the compromising for the girl because she's perfection. That's not the way a relationship should work. Oh, no, absolutely I, not. Yeah, and that, that reads really wrong to me, and, like, I hate that. Like, and it, I, knew, I know that that's, like, for some reason codified as, like, an indicator of love. To me, that's just, like, that's creepy. I don't like that. Well, I think... Um, the, the, I feel like I feel like you're correct in the sense that Collins does meet Dottie halfway, like, maybe more than halfway on a lot of things. But I also feel like there, it's still, like, a moving... It's a moving target. It right, is. there's a lot of discussion. Like there's, he'd be willing to make these changes, but she's not gonna say like you have to. That's true. They are, like there's a time where she's like, maybe we shouldn't get married because I don't think that we see eye to eye on this, and I don't think that there's a compromise, and they have mm-hmm. to work one out. But I think my favorite compromise that they have to make that I find like Dot's solution is really interesting, and Collins is not into it. You know that it's going to be an ongoing discussion, but like is um, the football, the soccer episode. In season two. So there are two football clubs in the surrounding area that are rival teams. And Collins has always grown up cheering for one team and Dot has always grown up cheering for the other. (laughs) Um, And when the head of one of the teams asks her, like, what are you going to do when you marry that young man um, and you have kids? And she's like, well, we'll just do what my parents did. Girls will cheer for this team and boys will cheer for that team. And Collins is scandalized. (laughs) he's like you're what and and was it Bert or Sess one of them is like you're what brings footy clubs down Dot and she's just like whatever (laughs) it's a totally reasonable way to handle this situation well my family uh interesting background I grew up in Raleigh North Carolina um so there are three major universities there and for various reasons like me, my mother, and my father all ended up each rooting for a different university. Good. <laughs> Strongly for like years and years and years, we had to share a house. So you can see why my parents and I do better with like a continent. <laughs> yeah. But we, our compromise was just we just like every time basketball season started, we like all took to our own television in our own room. And like <laughs> nobody talked to one another. 
So like my dad got the big living room TV. My mom got the big TV in their bedroom. I got my, I got my TV in my rec room and like basically to talk to each other until like the end of April. Oh my God. It was good. It was good. That's great. See, and that's how Dot's going to run her family. Yeah. And I think that like more tellingly, right, are the compromises that are, even though footy is very important, um, way more important than religion. That's one of the other ones that comes up between them, right? Because Hugh is Protestant, Jotty is Catholic. And Hugh is like, my mother will die. (laughs) (laughs) And these are all things that they have to figure out. And I feel like in a weird way, um, I feel like that relationship is almost more realistic than, and the reason I like it so much is because it's almost more realistic than the one that um, Miss Fisher and Jack Robinson are dealing with, right? Because they're both established older people. Their major issues are their, the way that they want to relate to one another. So that's going to be something that they have to decide on how to handle, mm-hmm. but it's not really something where like society is gonna like get up in their faces because you know what they're both like old whatever yeah at that Um, point they don't really care yeah well it's not as relevant i feel like uh dot and collins have so much familial pressure but like jack and miss fisher like miss fisher literally only has aunt prudence who eventually will be like at least it's jack robinson who has a professional job and is like not breaking the law I think eventually she can come around to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miss Fisher, like, that's her only family. And Jack is divorced and we never hear about any other relatives. Yeah. So, basically. So, like, they're, the two of them can take their sweet time to kind of figure out their shit. Which is Whereas, good, because I love the tension. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, like, I think Dot and Collins are looking at simultaneously a more conventional relationship but also a more uh, difficult one. You know, this is one of the few times, and we've had the conversation where I'm like, I don't care about once you're together. I find that incredibly boring, but I love the get together. Mm-hmm. This is one of the shows where I love both. For Miss Fisher and Jack Robinson, all I want is that tension. I want them to like only get together at the last minute of the last episode. Like, we know that they're going to get together. It's obvious. They know it. Everybody knows it. But I don't want to see them get together yet. Whereas with Dot and, and Hugh, I'm so happy to see them together and to see them working through these issues, which I am never interested in in anything I've ever watched or read ever other than this. <laughs> like, literally, this is my only exception to the rule, which is really weird. I think they just handle it in a much more interesting way than, like, anything I've ever seen before. Well, I also think that... Yeah, I mean, this is one where you get to see a lot more of the intimate questions related to a couple um, than you do a typical get-together, right? Like, most people get that stuff out of the way, and then there's not really much to debate. And then with them, there's so much more to talk about. There is. Though, I mean, I know that this is just my, like, lack of human empathy, but a lot of their problems I just don't understand. Um, Mr. Butler is actually a really interesting character. Because when they first see him, like when you first run into him in the show, he looks very classic Mr. Butler, right? He's like in the full suit. He looks so formal. He's going to take their bags and like he's prepared the house, everything like that. And I believe Miss Fisher like throws a bag at him and is like, P.S. there's a loaded handgun in there. Be careful or something. Mm-hmm. And he's fine with that. Like he just rolls with every punch they throw at him. And it's like really surprising. And I kept underestimating him until an episode where I think Bert and Sess have to, as per usual, commit some kind of crime in the name of investigation on Miss Fisher's <laughs> behalf, on her orders. Um, and they're like, but we're going to need like a, a gun, but we're going to need a, a special kind of gun. And Mr. Butler is like, what kind of gun do you need? And it turns out that he has like an arsenal in the house. You have an array of options for that. Right? <laughs> He, like, finishes polishing the silver, and then he cleans his gun collection, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. And he's like, this this one's great for committing crime. Use it. Absolutely. Um, I think part of the reason that these character beats work is that, you know how, like, on some shows, when, like, a character secretly, like, or suddenly has a secret, like, capability of doing a thing, it feels, like, too convenient? Yeah. 
with this show, they never overplay their hand, right? Like, it makes sense that Mr. Butler would be a badass of this caliber, right? Like, he probably fought in the war. Exactly. Um, he probably had, like, a long history of military service. And his sort of, like, his simultaneous um, poise of his, like, absolutely palpable love for everyone in the house is lovely as well because then you learn that like he lost his wife and he's been alone ever since but these are his new family and unlike a lot of the big houses that he could be bottling at like miss fisher's residence it's a completely different thing and i think that he's probably very happy about it to find himself in a situation where like he's with these like absolutely raucous ridiculous young people have you watched season two i've watched all of it okay so you saw the christmas special right yeah so the Christ- Which I hated, actually. Oh, it terrified the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting it to be that gr- Like, it's the most gruesome Miss Fisher episode ever. It, it pretty is, yeah. Yeah. But it it's has some of my favorite Mr. Butler moments. Um, because Mr. Butler, uh, so it's Christmas in July because it's Australia, which means that, um, Christmas in Australia happens in the summer. So in winter, they're having Christmas in July and they're going into the mountains to like ski and stuff. Um, but Mr. Butler stays behind with Bert and Sess because they have shit to do because it's July. Um, and Jane, who has been away studying French or something at some fancy school, comes home early and unexpected and is like, oh... I, they're all in the mountains, so so I can't celebrate Christmas in July with them. And Mr. Butler and Bert and Seth are all so excited to see her, and they're all like, let's have our own Christmas. And they, like, you know, they have their own small family gathering because they are family, even though none of them are related. Yeah. And they're all so earnest about it. It's not them, like, trying to make sure that Jane is happy. Like, they're all very engaged. Yep. Just thought that was really sweet. It is. It is a surprisingly sweet and surprisingly excellent show. And um, one last thing I'll say on the characters is that the so I don't like omnipotent characters. I don't like the character who's the coolest person in the room. Yeah. Um, it those are generally unconvincing to me, and that's not the person I want to root for, right? Like I want someone who's imperfect, who's real who's whatever. And there is a way to correctly write, like to write an authentically imperfect person. And it's a difficult task. And I think a lot of people are frankly not up to it. Um, but I particular like, I, I liked the show. I liked everybody else in it, but the episode where Miss Fisher won me over, like her as a person won me over was there's an episode. I don't even remember which season it is now um, where we learn a lot more about her backstory and when she was an artist model in Paris after the war, when she's young and foolish and she falls in a relationship that is very, very not good for her, um, implied, emotionally abusive, um, definitely physically abusive from what we see. And it's an amazing series of episodes because you, I think it's so important to show people and to tell a story where someone is like, this was me. Like, I was in a place of real weakness, vulnerability, and, like, fucked up but I came out of that, and here's what I took with me, right? Like, these are the additional scales to my armor now. Yeah, she didn't come out fully formed the way she is now. She had to go through stuff to become who she is. Yes. And, and she's I'm still learning. Of... Yeah. I also just love that, like, sometimes when she breaks into somewhere, she has trouble getting back out, and you find her, like, dangling by a series of ropes out of a window or something, like... (laughs) Typically, this is where Jack and Constable Collins pull up, and then Jack is just sad. Yeah, he's (laughs) just like, do I have to arrest you again? Like, (laughs) it's great that, like, she's alternately so competent, but, like, she's still gonna fuck up in ways that are, like... It's not like she's being dumb or, or anything, right? Like, it's something that, like, honestly could happen to anyone trying to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and my other favorite character moment was, um, I'm not going to give the season finale of the first season away, because it's, you have to see it to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that episode was not, you know, stellar, but it was kind of like, 
psychedelically interesting it's kind of like great in a crazy pants way but like uh you, you guys will know what I mean when you guys get to that episode but there's a great moment between Dottie and Hugh um in the police station where for reasons right it's every other episode Friday has been thrown into jail by Jack <laughs> And Dottie has to try and get her out of the cell. And obviously Hugh has the keys and they're, they're dating, they're courting now. So at one point she gets a hold of his gun because it's Hugh. He's like not afraid of Dottie. Dottie is like the sweetest creature on the whole face of the <laughs> earth. Um, she grabs the gun and holds him up at gunpoint. And he's like, Dottie, what are you doing? And she's like, I had to get Miss Fisher out of prison. And if I don't, everyone's going to die. She just bursts into tears. And he's being held at gunpoint. And his reaction is to pull a hanky out of his pocket and be like, oh, Dottie, stop crying. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll let her out of jail as long as you stop crying. He does not care about the gun. He just doesn't want her to be sad. No, it is, like, the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's so perfect. You know what? Here's, like, even when Miss Fisher is, like, ridiculous or you're like, this episode is not the best Miss Fisher episode, it is still so much better than so many other shows on television. Agree. Like, I just, you know, I have friends over and we just, like, put Miss Fisher on. It doesn't even matter what episode it is. We will just watch it and have an amazing time because it's so, like, universally enjoyable. I just love it so much. Okay, we had one other announcement. I've like five co-workers now. Yeah, yeah, I'm basically spreading it to everyone I can. Um, we had one other Anon question, and then I think we're pretty much done. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody asked, who do you think would win in a fight? Miss Fisher or Miss Fletcher for Murder, She Wrote? Miss- I don't think I can comment on this. I'm going to defer to you. Okay. Wait, it's not done. Miss Fisher has that gold-plated handgun, and she's not <laughs> afraid to use it. But Miss Fletcher is wily like a fox. <laughs> I actually spent, like, all day thinking about this. Okay. So, I, I think if it was a fight in which nobody else could intervene in any way, Miss right. Fletcher would win. Because she's, like, more willing to commit violence or whatever. <laughs> Um, but if other people could get involved, Miss Fletcher would win because people earnestly want to help her versus like people like reluctantly helping Miss Fisher. Like getting dragooned into helping her. Basically, like Jack Robinson would absolutely let her get arrested as often as possible. Whereas like nobody is gonna let Miss Fletcher get arrested. Oh my god, I would pay one million dollars. So it's Jessica Fletcher beating Miss Fisher's ass. Plus Jack Robinson is just like, you keep going, girl. She you deserves keep going. But I think the most dangerous thing would, if they worked together, it would be, like, a nightmare for everyone. Primarily for Jack. Yeah. Why has no one written us that crossover yet? So many mysteries. Oh, man! What if Miss Fletcher... What if Jessica Fletcher is, like, a relative of Miss Fisher? Oh, my God. She's probably, like, her great-granddaughter. Well, I don't think Franny ever has kids. Oh, wait, she didn't... I mean, like, her adopted daughter. Yeah. Yes! Right? Yes. Yeah. Keep that in mind for Yuletide, kids. Yeah, someone make that happen for us. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, so you can watch season one on Netflix. You can acquire season two through other (laughs) means or buy it on Amazon. It's expensive, but it's available on DVD in, like, region one. You can still watch it here, I think, probably. You should... I feel like you should just, like, um, watch season one slowly, because I feel like eventually season two is going to show up on Netflix. It probably should. I mean, if it's already, like, season one is there, and I think it's doing pretty well. That must, I believe, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to assume that that was a factor in season three getting approved. Because the network that runs Miss Fisher is the biggest, most popular network in Australia. And mm-hmm. every single one of their shows last year did amazingly well. Except... <laughs> They did so well that they weren't sure which ones that they should renew, and also they discovered that um, their demographics were not what they wanted, so they were trying to target a younger audience. And this is where I think things get dumb, because there are two murder mysteries that I watch from the same channel. There's Miss Fisher's Mysteries, which is, like, the, the greatest thing to ever happen, 
<laughs> and then there's a show called The Dr. Blake Mysteries, which takes place in a similar time period and is about, like, a doctor dude who comes back from the war and has to, like, take over his father's medical clinic because his father is dead. And he solves mysteries, but it's, like, very depressing and dark and, like, definitely targeted at older people. Like, I enjoy mm-hmm. it, but it's, like, a 2 compared to a Miss Fisher 10. And they automatically right. renewed Dr. Blake Mysteries, and then were, like, deciding whether or not to renew Miss Fisher. And I was like, if you want a younger demographic, I, Miss, <laughs> it's, it's Miss Fisher all the way. Like, what's wrong with you assholes? It took them, like, a year to make the decision to renew it. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, so watch it as much as you can. I also think that probably um, it also came into play that Miss Fisher is hugely expensive to make. Oh, I bet it's incredibly expensive, especially compared to Dr. Blake, which looks like, not low budge, but, like, it doesn't need as much opulence. Yeah. Um, but, like, seriously, it's, like, it's in my top... I have three favorite shows on television right now, and Miss Fisher is my absolute favorite. I do not blame you. I think that it's probably in my top ten, too. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think that as a close, since, uh, just in case you guys are wondering, there's not really a fandom for this as far as we can tell. Um, I found maybe a handful, like a dozen stories, um, on AO3. I did not check other places. Yeah, I also you don't guys think there's a, like, for me, I don't have a need for it. Neither do I. But since, um, but since there aren't really fix that we can wreck, uh, I think that we should wreck our favorite episodes. Oh, Okay. So the episode that is one of my favorites that I love using to, like, get people to watch this show is uh, Season 2, Episode 5, Murder a la Mode. This is one that you used on me. It is, because it's it's just so great. Miss um, Fisher is going to her favorite couture fashion house to get a bunch of clothes done, and she's getting some for Dot. And while they are there, um, the owner of the couture house is brutally murdered with a pearl necklace. And obviously they have to solve that, as well as a string of murders. And it's all about high fashion, as well as uh, port-a-pret fashion. Pret-a-porter. Pret-a-porter, sorry, yeah. Um, fashion, like, ready-to-wear fashion. Um, so, like, that storyline is all very interesting, but... What's also really great for me is the Dot story, like the B story in this about Dot, who, (laughs) while she's there and Collins is helping to investigate the murder, he gets distracted by this beautiful French model who is, like, a little more scandalously dressed compared to Dot's, like, conservative but very nice suits. (laughs) Um, And Dot wants to know, like... Like, basically, Collins, what, what's my favorite, out, like, what's your favorite outfit that I've ever worn? And he says, it's one of the most amazing moments in Miss Fisher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was what you were wearing the day that we met. And she just, like, gets so dead serious. And she's like, are you serious right now? And he's like, yeah, nothing is as beautiful to me as that. And she's like, a maid uniform? <laughs> Which he obviously did not remember. He was just trying to soothe her it's a they have a beautiful story in this episode amongst all of the fashion and drama and murder that is happening which is just a pure delight to me and you get as many costumes as you could fit in one episode um absolutely my second favorite episode is also from season two it's episode eight and it's called The Blood of Juana the Mad. It takes place at the local university where uh, Miss Fisher's friend, uh, Mac, is um, an instructor teaching basically dissection of human bodies for autopsy. And there's a murder as well as like a missing human skull. And there is a female student who I believe has, I don't like, I don't think that it's Asperger's, but it's something in that vein. Well, Uh, she seems to be, I mean, completely, like, they never identify what it is. They just sort of explain her as being very odd in the show. But, like, in modern day conception, she looks like she's probably on the spectrum. She's definitely on the spectrum, but she's all, I mean, she's a genius. She's incredibly smart, very talented, but has all of these weird quirks and Mm -hmm. is being harassed by one of the male students. 
um, at the same time that all of this murder is happening. And it's just really interesting seeing Miss Fisher interact with someone that she can't just charm instantly. They have to work around this girl and work with her. Um, and it's just, I, I think it's one of the most interesting mysteries. And you get a really interesting look at uh, the educational institutions at the time, which I just found fascinating. Definitely. And I thought it was really intriguing, like the portrayal of a female medical student and what she would have had to put up with exactly um, in order to get to where she was. Because so that, that is definitely a great episode. Male dominated situation. Yeah. It's too many dicks on that dance floor. There's way too many dicks on that dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for my recommendations, I also have two. For my first recommendation, um, I will recommend uh, Season 1, Episode 7, Murder in Montparnasse. It's an episode that starts with Phryne welcoming a friend she knew from long ago um, in her sort of impoverished days in Paris, where they lived the bohemian lifestyle. And Phryne uh, did a lot of nude art modeling for this friend's husband. Um, the lovely thing that I immediately really clocked into on this episode that I liked a lot is that she and the friend's wife are still very, very close and they clearly are very comfortable and love each other a lot. And under any other circumstances, I think in most other shows, they would really play up sort of the potential jealousy element and they don't. The two of them have a great, lovely relationship and, um, the episode is basically about, um, it, a friend of Burton Sess's is killed. And you realize as the episode progresses, it is the people who served with them in World War I who are being killed off. Um, and all of them share one common thing, and it is one particular night in Paris. Um, it's a fantastic, fantastic story. And this is also the one where I really, really bought in whole hog to... Miss Fisher as a character because it reveals a sort of vulnerability and, you know, those moments of like weakness and like, Oh my God, how am I going to get out of this that she experienced when she was younger and a lot more of what she is now makes so much more sense now that you have that solid footing. Yeah. Um, there's also a hilarious fucking, like, I don't even know what you would call this, like a deep plot line running through this episode where Dot's priest wants her to stop dating Hugh because he's a constant. <laughs> and um, this is the episode where I think MK and I decided that Mr. Butler gives the greatest advice of all time. <laughs> Mr. Butler is like, if you ever have a problem, he's the guy to speak to. Absolutely, because the solution that he proposes to her is flawless. <laughs> it is flawless. It's just like, oh, you know what? I feel like any problem you have, you could ask Miss Fisher for her solution, and you could ask Mr. Butler for his solution, and either way, you're getting some pure gold. That's <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, you probably should not do Miss Fisher's, but, like, it'll be fun to listen to. Right? Like, just ask her for kicks. Yeah. Just for funsies. <laughs> and don't ever ask Aunt Prudence, because she will mean well, but her answer is just not what you're looking for. Absolutely. <laughs> um, my second recommendation is for season two, episode seven, uh, sorry, season two, episode four, called Deadweight. Now, I will be completely honest with you. Part of the reason that I really like this episode is for 100% superficial reasons. Um, up until now, we have found Constable Collins to be very darling and sort of bumbling or whatever. Um, and this is the episode where you you realize that he is actually a total badass. Right? Uh, he's a complete badass. And he is one of those sort of like gentle giants. Like, uh, so apparently in between chasing Miss Briney around and squiring Dottie around town, he also runs um, a boxing club for all of the sort of underprivileged kids who um, are part of gangs or whatever. He tries to get them to filter their, you know, frustration and anger and energy into something that's, you know, that's a sport instead of beating up on each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a great episode in the sense that Hugo Johnston-Burt, who is the actor who plays um, Constable Collins, uh, is shirtless and sometimes, like, not fully shirtless, but you can still sort of see the guns. 
I was not expecting the guns. Uh, no one was expecting the guns. I, was I don't think like, Dot was expecting the guns. He's just like, where, where were you keeping those? Yeah, where did you keep those things holstered? You pull them out again as much as you want, sir. Um, it's a great episode. It lets him flex his acting range quite a bit more. Um, it's also really sad because it's basically about him trying to be like a good person and like a good officer and all the various difficulties that kind of come along with that. Um, but there is also a fabulous moment in this episode where someone tries to threaten uh, constable Collins and Dottie all like five foot one inch of her blonde, curly, adorable, (laughs) sweet head just gets right in that asshole's face. And he's like, I will cut you if you ever talk shit about Constable Collins again. It is basically the best thing I've ever seen in my life. My favorite is Dottie trying to be tough, but also because she uses, like, phrases like, my hue. Yes! If you ever talk that way to my hue. She is just... She's the cutest! She's so cute! Like, I can't... She's so cute! Oh... (laughs) And we should just mention, like, when you meet Dot's sister, that's a really interesting episode. Yes. Well, that's a really interesting episode for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So my two recommendations, uh, Murder of Montparnasse and then Deadweight. Murder of Montparnasse because that's fabulous character development. Uh, Deadweight because I'm a pervert. And just, like, just a reminder, Prue watches totally different TV than I do. And 100%. she didn't want to watch this, and now we both love the shit out of it. And I think Marilyn is also watching it now, right? Yeah, I basically every single person who has started the show has gone down to a dark place. Like, for example, I think that, like, I convinced Waldorf to watch it. There you and go. literally, literally, as we were about to start recording, she said completely, like, without knowing that we were about to start recording this episode, she sends me a message saying, I forgot how adorable Collins was patting down the flapper girls in the club, which is another episode that we haven't discussed. Yeah. Um, But then when I told her, like, haha, your timing is perfect, we're about to record the Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries episode, all caps, guys, all caps from Waldorf. This is her exact stuff. I'm quoting her. Waldorf says, and I quote, Tell everyone it's wonderful. Tell them that Phryne is a goddess. Tell them that Dot and Hugh are the sweetest. And that Jack is the kind of man you marry because he'd treat you like a goddess and fuck you like a whore. End quote. A hundred percent accurate. Yeah, you can't fight that. She speaks the truth. If I could have, like, a version of a book club, but it was just ladies re-watching episodes of Miss Fisher all the time, I would do that. Oh my god. Do you know what would be so much fun? What if when season three comes out, we do a viewing party? Oh my god, we should totally do that. Should do like a flapper viewing party. Like you have to dress up in period appropriate clothes. I'm gonna have to find some period appropriate clothes. Thankfully, I bought a flapper dress recently. Oh, of course you did. See, it's just not gonna be flattering on me. They did a drop waist in that time period. Yeah, it doesn't have to be exactly like a flapper dress. Right. Um, but you have to dress in period-appropriate clothes. And um, we'll all sit around and drink champagne cocktails and watch Miss Friday. That's like a dream come true. We should order canapes. We should all make canapes. Come sure. I'll <laughs> <We should laughs> make that. canapes. Everyone listening to this is invited. Good. <laughs> you have to find a venue. Yeah, seriously. Um, but I think that wraps us up. Do you have any closing thoughts on Miss Fisher? I don't have closing thoughts on Miss Fisher, but there is something that I've been meaning to do on Slash Report for a while, and we have not mentioned it ever. Um, which is, guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a second podcast now. <laughs> We've been talking about it a lot on, on Twitter, but I know that most of you don't follow us on Twitter. So, heads up, we have a second podcast now. Um, it is Prue, me, Marilyn, and Lepagus, and we are all talking about female gaze things, which you're, you're better explaining this. It's really your show. <laughs> so basically what we wanted to do was to take a look, um, at questions that were a little too broad for Slash Report, but from the perspective of people who share a common language and a common, like, geeky background. So our inaugural episode was about problematic media, whether or not you can like something 
even though when you have your female gaze goggles on, when you're coming at it from the perspective of a woman, this product is really like not something that's particularly good for you, you know? And like this ranges uh, on everything from like the easiest ones that come to mind are like Supernatural to like Teen Wolf to like all this other stuff where can you love the, can you like, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin, that sort of thing. Um, And we also have been talking about makeup and female social dynamics. And last week um, we talked about, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, Romance novels. Yes. Romance novels, which um, we really enjoyed. And we're probably going to talk about more in the future. So if you would like a podcast that is much broader, so not just about fanish stuff, um, but more about lady stuff in general, but from people who have a fanish perspective, then you should totally check us out. We are at femalegazepodcast.com. And we are on iTunes, finally. <laughs> I know. Go team us. Yeah. Um, so you can search for us at Female Gaze Podcast on iTunes, and you can also find us on Twitter at Female Gaze Cast. Yeah, and it just seemed like this was the episode to mention that, because Miss Fisher is one of the easiest things for me to watch with my female gaze goggles on. Absolutely. It's just all ladies all the time and they're all fantastic. So great. The yeah. clothes like we can't stop talking about the clothes on this show because they're so great. Yeah. Literally like guys, your homework is to go watch at least the first twenty minutes of the first episode. And everyone that has watched twenty minutes of the first episode of this show has been like, I need all of this immediately. Exactly. Exactly. Like I spend most of my time watching the show being like, I just want to peel all the clothes off of her body and put them onto my body. (laughs) Basically. I like, I think I basically just started getting my hair cut similar to her. Cause I was like, I just want to be you. Okay. MK, we got to end this podcast because that was very single white female of you. And if SC Davis files suit on you, I I don't want there to be too much of a trail here. I don't know what that means. Oh my god. Let's let's end this. We have to end this. You you made it weird, MK. You I'm made it sorry, weird. Sorry, I like her hair. Oh my god, do you wanna like knit it into a little sweater? Wear no, it. I wanna look like all cool <laughs> like she does. Wear her skin as a coat. She looks really cool. You wanna wear her you gotta tuck it in at She's like a role model, but don't ever use her as a role model. You gotta make the make it put the lotion in the back. You you cut out there, but I'm going to assume you said something terrible. We have to we have to end this. Okay. We yeah. Uh, so we're on slashreport.com. We're on Twitter as slashreport. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Moonclutz. You're there as often imprudent. And don't forget to check out our new other podcast, the Female Gaze Podcast, which again is at femalegazepodcast.com on Twitter at femalegazecast. Or, you know, our Twitter handles are the same. Yeah. You, you know where we are. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we will see you on the flip side and hopefully see you with the female gaze cast, too. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.